0: Well, again, it is great to have you here today as we get to hear firsthand what are those ways, things have been born for, where things we developed into, and how do we apply these timeless truths for our life. Can we give a warm Horizon welcome to Chad Williams. Come on down. Hey. Well, thanks for joining us today. And it's been exciting to hear your story and to see kind of what uh, the last you know, 20 years have been in your life. But maybe start broad strokes with us. Introduce yourself and tell us exactly what a Navy SEAL does.
1: That's a good question because, you know, from Huntington Beach, California, my hometown, a girl asked me if being a SEAL meant that I worked at SeaWorld or something, as she put oh, it. And so
0: that's dagger into the heart. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> kind of expected that they would know. But maybe you didn't know this. SEAL is actually an acronym, and it stands for Areas of Operation. And so we operate in the sea, the air, and the land. Kind of paint that picture of what we're doing on land. On the last deployment I was involved in, we're out in Iraq, given the task of hunting down men that make suicide vests and those roadside bombs, IEDs. And while we're out there, we're working with this group called the ISOF. They're the Iraqi Special Operations Forces. And one of our goals with these guys is to simply teach them how to fight their own fights. And so we figured the best way to do that is to train them on base but beyond that actually go outside that wire and fight side by side with them. Mm. Well, if you can imagine, a whole deployment was going by pretty good. We gotten a lot of these guys that, you know, were committing a lot of evil and we're coming up on what looked like just enough time on the calendar to do maybe one more operation before it's time for us to go. But at that point, too, we're kind of questioning, like, is the ISOF really ready for us to be passing this baton off to them? Can Mm. they take this responsibility? So we decide, with the time we had left, let's make this final operation a sort of graduation operation. We're going to let them plan the whole thing from the ground up, and we'll be there with them just in case things go bad. And so they start from scratch, hitting the streets, they find this source. This source informs them about this man that's an Iraqi policeman. So now we're looking into this policeman by day, bomb maker by night. Wow. And so they come up with the plan. You know, how they want to approach. And they're presenting it to us. Here's how we want to get in. Here's how we want to grab the guy. Here's how we want to extract. It's everything we taught them to do. Looks good. And then they had an odd request, though. They said that they felt they got shot at more than we did. They think they figured out why. They thought it had something to do with the uniform. So here comes the strange request. Would you be willing to take off your American-colored uniforms and put on our Iraqi Special Operation Force uniforms so that you'll blend in with us in hopes that we get shot at more with them? (laughs) <laughs> so are like, uh, okay.
0: it's <laughs> so, a great plan so far. <laughs> right.
1: We're blending in. I'm embracing it. I'm thinking at least I get a cool souvenir. I'll take it home. The Iraqi Special Operation Force uniform. I'm standing up in the Humvee behind the 50 Cobra machine gun. And if you don't know, let's just say that's a weapon that could really reach out and touch somebody. <laughs> I've got my night vision goggles on. I remember just looking through this green little world and thinking to myself, I know that my weapon is ready to go. I know where this guy lives. I know the plan, how we're going to approach. And one unique thing I know about this operation that truly makes it different than every other operation I know just a matter of days from now, I'm going to be back in my hometown, Huntington Beach, California, surfing (laughs) in the ocean. Uh, But... What none of us really knew about that night and not that moment was that we were actually being set up the entire time to get thrown the absolute worst circumstances we've been in on this entire deployment hmm. as we find ourselves
0: getting set up on an ambush. And now suddenly we're engaging in this gun battle for our lives. Wow, so you hit this ambush and you're there with this just cause of trying to stop suicide bombers just to give us a feel like... How evil are these suicide bombers that you're trying to to stop as you're now, your your life's on the line, your freedom's on the line. What are you fighting to stop in the midst of that?
1: It would seem that a suicide bomber is content with the fact that they're going down, but they don't want to go down by themselves. Mm -hmm. They measure success in terms of how many people can I take out with me. They're looking for body count. And we're reminded of that even recently when we're extracting out of Afghanistan. They tried to leave us with, you know, taking out 13 of our service members and so many others. Uh, that were there. And sometimes these cowards, they're, they're so cowardice that they're not even willing to actually strap on the suicide vest and they can't find someone to volunteer. And so, in one particular case, what they did, they made it, but they're not going to wear it. And they look, they can't find anybody. And so, they see these two mentally handicapped women and they fashion them with these vests. Mm. And then they kind of direct them and push them off into crowded marketplace. And as they're walking along in this crowded place, these guys step back like cowards, watching from a distance, and they set it off with the remote,
0: mm.
1: killing these women, and obviously so many more. So this kind of gives you an idea of the type of character uh, that we're up against. But yeah. you know what? the Ioft they had this guy's number on that night.
0: Well, that's a different kind of evil. Mm. Now, did you always have a, a desire to go and you know, fight for freedom and fight against evil as a kid, or did that come later your desire to be a seal?
1: I think just growing up, you know, in America, us young kids, when we're young, you could take it for granted, you know, because I wasn't growing up really during a a war time. It's just like this is just the default built into life position. We're we're free. Right. And sometimes just like it takes a a funeral for you to really wake you up, you know, it takes you a funeral to really appreciate life. Hmm. Uh, For me, I think it was 9-11 junior year in high school, and that had happened. It took a 9-11 for me to really appreciate the freedoms Uh, that we have realizing they do not come freely, that there is evil lurking out there that for whatever reason it wants to still kill and destroy. And so I think that planted a little seed, uh, junior year of high school, but by the time I'm getting out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'm just attending a local community college and I had no plans. And that saying is very true that if you aim at nothing, you will hit it. (laughs) Unfortunately, that was the aim at that time. I'm not passing any of my classes. It's my own fault. I'm not putting forth any effort. I'm ditching class half the time, going surfing, hanging out with friends. Mm -hmm. There's no accountability. Uh, But now it's the end of the year, time to take finals, those big tests. Everyone dreads. I'm pulling into the parking lot. And for whatever reason, it took that moment for it to just hit me in the face, this realization of, hey, I'm turning out to be a loser. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the kind of guy that... No young person wants to be. And so I'm thinking, how do I turn this around? Because I don't want to live a wasted life. I want to do something significant, something meaningful. And so I'm sitting in my truck about to go to class and take these finals. How, I brainstorm. I know what to do with my life. I think I come up with the perfect plan. Initially, I'm going to go become an Alaskan crab fisherman. (laughs) I'm thinking deadliest catch by far, one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. You're going to make a lot of money. And so... I'm almost settling in on that. And then this other idea popped into my head. Like, wait a minute, no, why can't I go join the military? Not just that, be a part of the most elite. I want to go through that most difficult, grueling military (coughs) training. I know what I want to be. I want to be a Navy SEAL. And so sitting in that school parking lot, I make up my mind. That's what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to be a SEAL. And so I figured, well, my first order of business is this. If I'm going to be a frogman. I don't need to go to class anymore. Served that (laughs) truck up and took off out of that school parking lot.
0: So you're having this transcendental moment in your car so you don't have to take exams. And (laughs) you got this perfect 17-year-old plan in your head. And at some point, you're going to have to tell mom and dad. How'd that go?
1: My dad had no idea what was going on that year. I had to break the news to him that I'm failing all these classes. And I was going to have to let him know that I had no intention of going back. And so I figured the solution to not having to go to school was go become a Navy SEAL. That's going to be easier, right? (laughs) Don't want to take finals. I'll go try and be a Navy SEAL. (laughs) And so I'm letting him know the bad news. He's kind of facepalming through it. Like, okay, what's the good news? And I'm just waiting for that because that's my trigger. It's all right, dad. I got a plan. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And he's looking at me. And I could see this, and looking back, I could put myself in his shoes now as a father. I mean, here's your son that hasn't demonstrated the discipline it takes to make it through the local community college, and now he's informing you, it's okay, Dad, I'm going to be a SEAL. <laughs> and so I remember this sort of talk that he gave me where he's saying, son, just so you know, joining the military is not like anything you have ever done in the past. This is not playing ball. This is not skateboarding. This is not attending the local community college, that when you decide you're over it, you could just stop. He says, if you join the military, and maybe then you find out it's not for you, or suppose you quit and don't make it through SEAL training, just to be clear, you will still be in the military. (laughs) And you're probably going to pick up a job like chip and paint off some boat off the coast of Japan. Well, you might be able to tell those words really stuck with me. And that was probably one of the most motivational speeches I could have heard at that time because that's the way I'm wired. You imply that you think I might not be able to do something and I want to bolt down and do it even more. And so I realized actions speak louder than words. I kind of stormed out of there and I start my
0: preparations. And little did I know that uh, he has some things up his sleeve in the future. So then you go into to the training. And, uh, like, how many people start in that training... How tough is it? What is it like? If we, if we were in the training with you, what would we experience? Sleep, you know, rigors, uh, time frame. What's all that look like? Take me into the, to that, not only the hell week, but the whole train that leads up to that. I
1: remember day one, 173 of us were in my class. And the instructor came into the room and he challenges us, how many of you are willing to die before you quit? Well, everyone's pounding their chest going, hoo-yah, that's our yes. And he goes, great, take a mental picture of the people around you. And so we're looking left, right, front, behind. I got four guys in my mind. He says, by the law of averages, chances are if you're still standing here for graduation day, the four guys you just looked at, they didn't make it. Do you think you're the one? And I remember looking around the room thinking to myself, like, wow, because I have suffered with these guys already. We have gone through some pre-SEAL training together where these instructors have put us through beatdown sessions, and it hurt, and nobody has quit yet. Hmm. And so realizing the majority of the room has got to go, I'm getting a little concerned. Like how far into the abyss of suffering are we going to have to go before some of these guys start falling off? And so I'm trying to pick out the low-hanging fruit in my mind. And one of the guys that captures my attention is this guy, Barth. He captured my attention not in such a way to where I thought, there's a the guy that's going to quit. I looked at Barth and I thought, there's one of the guys who will be there for graduation day. Mm-hmm. He was that guy that you look at him, he's born and bred to be a Navy SEAL. He's cut from another piece of cloth. He's got that DNA that produced the stamina the muscle to wear there's mm. no question over who's getting first place when we're competing it's Barth the debate amongst the guy is like the guys is like all right who's grabbing second you know we know <laughs> who's going to be in first right. there's one that's going to make it I'm looking around the room like, where are the quitters going to come from? And then how could I forget about Gagne? This guy, he's like the locker room talk. He's the ugly duckling of the class, the runt of the litter, the last to get picked on a kickball team, right? (laughs) Like, how did he even get here for training? Mm. I don't know. But that guy will be the first guy to quit. Well, the irony is that by the time we get to the most difficult part of SEAL training, which is called Hell Week, where they keep you up for five and a half days and you get four hours of sleep. That's it, not per night four hours of sleep for the next five and a half days. And you're gonna be covering over 200 miles of running. And that's not with just running around your own body weight. You're carrying something everywhere you go, either a telephone log or a boat. And that log is so heavy and that boat is so heavy on top of your head, In a class prior to mine, a guy broke his neck underneath one of these boats. They are no joke. And then you're performing surf torture in the ocean, which is kind of like it sounds. It's the ocean's version, the Pacific's version of waterboarding along with cold exposure. Going through in February, when that air is so cold, it bites and then water hits you and it takes your breath away. Mm. And you look like you're hanging on to a jackhammer. They call it jackhammering cold. And the instructors will play head games with you. You're not allowed out of the water. And they'll just come up with some arbitrary number. We're going to keep doing this till three of you give up Mm. and quit. And so now you're holding on with each other's arms, looking at each other, just like thinking, how far into this do we have to go? And all I can say is I had to suffer more than I ever imagined a person could take just to be determined I'm not going to be one of these guys that gets up and gets out of this water. And that is a game you play over and over and over with these instructors, and it just gets more and more difficult, irony, so by the time we're in Hell Week, somehow Gagne is still there. And who was amongst the first to quit? This guy Barth. And who was one of the guys that made it all the way through that pipeline and became a seal? This guy Alex Gagne. And so I think it demonstrates the truth of this principle that we find in the seal creed. And I think it also finds its roots in the Bible. Uh, but it goes, it's the common man with uncommon desire to succeed. That's the guy that makes it. It's the stuff that you don't see. It's the stuff on the inside that gets these guys through
0: we're going from 175 to 13, is that right? 173 173. down to an original number of 13 for graduation. So walk me through. You said when every guy quits, comes out of that 50-degree water, teeth shattering, body shattering from all the cold, show me a picture or paint me a picture of what it looks like to walk down. All those other helmets are there that have quit and to ring that bell, and you're watching it. In order Mm -hmm. to quit, they signify it by ringing a bell, and they have to ring that bell three times in
1: front of everybody and so I think it just kind of shows how much they don't want to be in the situation anymore Uh, that's got to be a difficult thing to do but it seems like an easier thing to do for them than be there anymore and they have to take their helmet with their family name on it that legacy you know their class number their rank and they lay it down underneath the bell and the, the helmets wind up being laid out in a chronological order that they they quit in And it's almost like a a graveyard, these tombstones that always remain, these helmets that you see there on the screen. That's actually from my class, but it's class 254. You see this long line of helmets. These are the guys that quit. And at the very end of that that line of helmets, somewhere on the screen in the blur is a a brass bell that they ring three times in in front of everybody. And and they seem to never quit on their own. They always wanted to try and, and pull somebody down with them. They didn't want to quit by themselves. And so they're always trying to grab onto other people and say, go with me. And they try and rationalize it. We made it pretty far. Mm. This is respectable. You know, let's just go. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, it's the strangest thing when they try and cling on to you, but you just say, man, I don't, I don't know that person. I don't know you. I'm, yeah. I'm
0: going to remain here. Wow. So let's go back to your dad for a second. <clears throat> so your dad's here. You have this plan. Doesn't know if you're up to the task. Wants to be a good dad. Make sure you're up for it. What was your dad's plan you alluded to to make sure you knew what you're getting into? Well, I had no idea that he wound up on a phone with a man and he's
1: telling this guy, look, my son wants to be a Navy SEAL, but here's the deal. He has no idea what he's signing up for. He does not know what he's getting involved in. And so I'm wondering, would you be willing to meet up with my son? And what I'm asking you to do is I need you to just crush him. (laughs) Bury him. Beat this desire of becoming a SEAL out of him. Thanks, Dad. So he's reaching out to a a Navy SEAL that he found online, all right? And so this guy, he's on the phone with them, thinking about it. He doesn't get a response on the phone, but he ends up sending a response in an email. And so the email's there on his computer, and my dad invites me into his room. He says, so you really want to do this? I'm like, yeah, Dad, I want to be a SEAL. He goes, great, well, I set up a workout for you with the Navy SEAL. Check out my computer screen. And I'm looking over at the screen. As I'm panning over, I'm thinking to myself... My dad doesn't know any Navy <laughs> SEALs. What is this? And all I see in this email is this little one-liner that says, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? And I'm stuck on that word, play. Like, play? Like, Dad, let me straighten this all out. You met some guy off the Internet, claims to be a Navy SEAL, says he wants to play with me, and you're arranging all of this right now. <laughs> He's a SEAL, son. I'm like, you can't trust everything someone tells you on the web, Dad. He goes, this guy's a SEAL. I'm like, all right. If you really want me to, I'll go meet up with this guy out there. And so I'm meeting up with some guy in a beach parking lot, you know, he's pointing his finger at me, calling me Bubba, and sends me off on a run, says he's gonna catch up with me on the run. I don't know what the final destination is. All I'm given is a direction, go down that dirt trail, away from the ocean, out into the wetlands, and he's gonna be there in 15 minutes. And so 15 minutes into the run, I'm looking back, not seeing this guy. And as I'm running a little bit more, looking back, still not seeing this guy, I start to get this idea in my head like, hey, maybe maybe I'm too fast for the Navy SEAL. He can't catch up on the run. And I remember the names of my friends I was thinking of, I was going to be bragging to about this. And I look over my shoulder again and off in the distance, it's like a scene at a Terminator 2 when that bad dude morphs into knife hands and goes chasing down the moving vehicle. I'm looking back and there's that guy. He's coming down this trail like a T-1000. I mean, he looks like a a canine that just got let out of the back of a squad car, just closing (laughs) in. And so I'm running as fast as I can. I can't keep the distance. He gets up to where I am, passes me, and I never saw what was coming next. As he's dead ahead on the trail, he plants down, turns on a dime, full stop, and I'm greeted by his fist as I'm going into him, just impaling my stomach as I'm going for the ride. Just feet coming off the ground. I see blue sky, feeling that wind knocked out of me Uh. before my back has not even touched the ground. And then I'm hitting the ground, and that of dirt up all around me and he's jumping on top of me now and i mean just ragdolling me i still remember that sound of the threads of my shirt just ripping as he has me by it feeling spit flying out like hitting me in, in the face and, and the cheek and this guy's screaming and i don't know what he's saying and you have to put yourself in my shoes for a moment here remember the only intel i'm operating on Is some guy, my dad been off the internet. He's got me on the (laughs) ground in the wetlands. I'm thinking child predator. Like, hang in there. This is happening. And so he's screaming in my face, but then these words came through that changed everything. He says, you want to be a Navy SEAL? You better stay three paces behind me. And just something about that moment right there, it clicked. I realized this is it. This is for real. And if I quit right now, I'll forever be a quitter. Something in my life right there told me the way you respond right here, Chad, is going to affect the trajectory of the rest of your life. And so I just didn't want to be that quitter. And so I just made up my heart, my mind, I'd rather die than quit. And so I crawl up to my feet. He takes off. He says three paces again. Mm. I'm going after him. And it took everything within me just to lock in on his heels. I didn't look ahead, I just stayed on his heels. And I suffered so much for miles down this trail, making weird noises. My heart has never felt the way that it did. Mm. I never breathed the way that I did, Mm. just staying with this guy. But we finally got to a point where he ended it. And he circles up, and he's pacing back and forth. And I'm watching him. I'm, I'm trying to recover. And, I mean, this guy's looking at me like he wants to fight me. He's like a cage fighter pacing back and forth and maybe just waiting for the referee to initiate things with a little let's get it on. And at the time, I'm like this teenage skater punk kid. I don't want to project to the Navy SEAL that I'm willing or wanting to fight him at all. So I remember just having a self dialogue as I'm looking down. I'm like, okay, Chad, no direct eye contact with this guy. (laughs) Don't set him off, just use your peripherals. I'm trying to keep him over there. And uh, he pointed at me and he says, hey, If we would have gone another mile or two, would you have stayed with me? I processed it for a second, and I just told him what came from the heart. I said, Scott, I'll die before I quit. He gets this big smile on his face. I mean, the Uh guy completely changes. Like, what is that, like, Dr. Jekyll? And Like he's like, (laughs) great, you want to meet up again for the workout tomorrow? I'm like thinking, are we going to address the flashback that guy had on the trail? (laughs) Like, we need to talk about this. Then I thought, don't bring it up. That might trigger that response again. And so I just kind of give him a thumbs up and, you know, later on I find out about the whole setup that that was and he actually contacted my dad and told him, look, I think your son might have what it takes to make it. I'd like to start working with them." So from that point forward, I began to meet up with this Navy SEAL you see on the screen, Scott Helvinston, and thankfully it was no longer a beatdown. It became more of a building up and I yeah. moved on in life from being Bubba. Uh, to suddenly one day I became
0: junior. <laughs> <laughs> That's progress right there. Yep. <laughs> now tell me, this isn't just, you, however your dad stumbled across this guy, he didn't just stumble across a Navy SEAL, which is elite enough, he kind of came across the Navy SEAL of all Navy SEALs. So tell me a little about Scott, what makes him unique, and also um, some things he accomplished before that day he's sending you off to, uh, to Navy SEAL training.
1: Imagine if I told you he's the youngest guy to ever make it through SEAL training, what that age might look like. And I, I think this might rattle you a little bit. It takes bit. two
0: years, right, you said? to go through It's process? a
1: two-year process. He became a SEAL, completed the program by 17 years old. That was because of a horrible childhood. Uh, he grew up and passed around a lot of different foster homes. Talk about a guy that wasn't the victim of his circumstances and played victim. He, the military took him as a teen. Hmm. They said, wait, we'll take you. He goes into SEAL training, SEAL by 17, that's a record. I don't think anyone will ever beat that record. I hope no one has to go through the life circumstances that could even lead up to the possibility of that. He's also a world champion panathlete. That's five events compared to the triathlon that you see. He's the fastest Navy SEAL in the SEAL training obstacle course. Not a SEAL on this earth can beat this SEAL going through an obstacle course. And on a TV program you might remember on the early 2000s, he was the only man at the time to beat the beast on a TV program called Man vs. Beast. They cleverly thought if we built an obstacle course and train a, say, chimpanzee to go through it, there's no way this guy's gonna win. He pulls ahead of the monkey on national television on monkey bars. That's Scott. I mean, you could Google it, watch it sometime. And so phenomenal athlete. You can imagine what it's like then for me. I idolize him, and I'm getting trained by literally the best of the best to get going into
0: this field training. Mm. So you went from your Bubba, you feel like you're a loser, and now the man's been training you. He's about to send you off to boot camp. He gets some news and gives you some news. So what's his news and what does he say to you before you go into the training? At this point, he's like a second father to me. And he's on the phone with me
1: and he's taking an opportunity to go overseas as he put it one last time. And so as he's on the phone with me, he's reminding me of the timeline. He knows I'm about to go off to boot camp. So he's letting me know that, you know, I'm about to go do this thing. He's referring to going off to Iraq. You're going to be off at boot camp. And uh, I'm going to be back, he says. And he says, I'm going to be there. We're going to see you make it through. So the picture I have is as I'm going through training, Scott is going to be there somewhere like on the sidelines. I'll be checking in with them at the end of the day. We'll kind of be debriefing with each other. And he says, I want you to know something, though, that I've never told anyone that I've ever trained before. He says, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. And to hear those words from my mentor, I'll never have the words to describe just how much that meant to me. It's like, wow, thanks, Scott. And so... We're saying our goodbyes. Can't wait to see when you get back. So he's gone. I got just a handful of days before I go to boot camp. Well, I'm up one day, and there's a television that's on in the background, and something captures my attention. I see that it's Scott on TV. Hmm. And my first thought was just what is Scott doing on TV right now? Because I thought he's supposed to be off in Iraq. Maybe something popped up he didn't let me know about. And all it is is a big picture of him smiling on TV. Typical still image they might use, a profile shot of somebody before they introduce him onto a program. Yeah. And so I'm not really tuned into the words. Mm. I just look, I'm just staring at this smiling picture of Scott. I've seen this picture before. And then I look at the lower third of the screen, and that's where I see Scott's birth date followed by a dash. And it says March 31st, 2004. Wow. And before I could process just the obvious meaning of that, I think it is kind of obvious, but it just wasn't registering. I wasn't, it wasn't translating in my head. Mm. I'm staring at this picture of him, And suddenly it switches from a still image of him to graphic video footage. And the the first thing I see is a a vehicle that's engulfed in flames. And this vehicle's in Fallujah, Iraq. And as it turned out, it was the very vehicle that Scott was in, along with three other Americans. And now it's cutting to these different scenes. And what had happened was this group of insurgents had ambushed the vehicle and they videotaped everything that they had done next you guys might remember this. He was one of the private contractors with Blackwater back in 2000 uh, that was ambushed. And, and now there's these scenes of, you know, this guy that I was just next to in a vehicle, this far apart. Mm-hmm. I idolize him. I'll never forget sitting passenger seat as We're going to go mountain climbing one day. And uh, I'm just thinking, like, I'm so lucky. I'm so fortunate to be here with this guy. Mm-hmm. And he's everything that I want to be. I remember trying to, like, burn the memory into my brain. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't want to forget this. So I'm looking around. I remember how the, the sun was cascading through the windshield. Scott's mm-hmm. arms up there on the wheel. I'm looking over at his arm and thinking like, I want my arms to be like his one day, right? <laughs> like I can look up to this guy. Yeah. And I'm looking through this TV screen. And I'm seeing those same arms. And they're lifeless and tangled. And he's laying in the streets in Fallujah. And this mob is surrounding him and doing everything they can to try and mutilate His body and the others with Mm. sticks and rods. And then they go and find rope and wrap it around their legs. Wow! And they went dragging them through the streets of Fallujah. And then these weaklings, these cowards are too weak to continue the dragging. So they hook them up to vehicles. And they continue to drag them through these dirt streets as they're just celebrating. You can see the glee on their faces as they're doing this. And they arrive at the Euphrates River Bridge and string them upside down. And they set the bodies on fire. And then as the bodies are burning in the background over the shoulders of these guys, they're staring into the camera and they're chanting a message repeatedly in Arabic, a message for us in America that I heard as I stared at that screen loud and clear. They're chanting, Fallujah, the graveyard of Americans. Fallujah, the graveyard of Americans. Mm. And I think pretty needs to say, I'll never have the words to describe what that exact moment wow. was like and all the surrounding moments. It's obvious. It's one of those moments that will change you as a human being. I really felt like, all right, I'm not going forward the same person from here. I felt hatred enter my heart. When I thought about becoming a SEAL, I realized that killing is part of the job, right? But there's a just cause for it. It's part of the job. That's really not the part I'm looking forward to. I was looking forward to kind of the rock star part of it. You know, you, you get to use these cool guns and jump out of airplanes and tell the babes, hey, I'm a SEAL. Mm. I'm not only thinking about killing now, I am so hungry for it. I have hatred in my heart like i would never experienced. I wanted to bypass the training and just get through that TV screen, get over there on a civilian flight and recklessly throw myself at these guys mm. in an attempt to take their, their hearts out with my bare fingers. And so that's just kind of where I was at. And uh, that sense of hatred or revenge, it's a fuel. It is a nasty fuel, it burns bright and it's not a healthy fuel to be burning on, to remain on. Mm. But I'm just trying to be real with you all. That's kind of where I was, I was at. And I just kind of became forged in this. In the SEAL Creed, it says you're forged by adversity. The forging process for me started when I remember Scott's last words to me on the phone. Little did I know that was going to be the last words. When he said, Junior, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training, that began the forging process right there. I became determined that I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it for so much more now. I want to do it in honor and memory of my mentor. I want to do it for his namesake, and I want to get some revenge. And so I had his name on the inside of my hat as a constant reminder going through training so that when I was suffering, all I had to do was look at his name. And I would think to myself, Mm. you got to take me out of here in a body bag before I ever quit on that name. It's not happening. So it didn't happen.
0: Mm. So you've got literally his name on your rim, so you can see it wherever you're going. You're motivated by this mentor man who saw what was in you. You're also motivated by anger. All that's mixed together, and then the day comes. Everything you've ever hoped for, everything you've ever dreamed for, everything you've ever worked for, you get that trident. Take us to that day. What did that feel like? What did it? What What did it satisfy, and what did it not satisfy?
1: It all started in a parking lot in a junior college, a failure. <laughs> I was a loser. (laughs) And then here's that moment, right? It's like the identity is completely changing. As you get this insignia that you see, that's the moment on the screen right there, Mm. pinned into my chest. This is your new identity. You are now a seal. Welcome to the brotherhood. Welcome to the fraternity. I remember looking up in the air and thinking, Scott, we did this. I remember the family out there in the background watching as... I have this moment where I'm being basically just inducted. I'm, I'm part of this, I'm getting put on SEAL Team 1. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of the happiest, most fulfilling moments of my life. But the crazy thing is this, just to be honest with you all, it didn't take more than 24 hours. 24 hours gone by and I felt like that wind came out of the sail and mm-hmm. everything just very slowly began to trickle downhill and circle the drain from that point forward. And as time was pressing on, I couldn't wrap my mind around why at the time. I mean, I just achieved the ultimate. I just climbed to the top. And it was years later I heard these words over the radio. And I thought, wow, that's exactly, finally some words that ex- explain what I experienced. And maybe some of you could relate with these words as well. These are the words I heard. The guy says, one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience is when He's achieved. That which he thought would deliver the ultimate, and in the end, it lets him down. One of the loneliest moments a man or woman will ever experience when you have achieved that which you thought would deliver the ultimate, in the end, it lets you down. Everyone in this room, I believe, is familiar with this, at least to some degree. Hmm. Sometimes we refer to it as, you know, it's the human condition. Grass is always greener on the other side. Not quite satisfied, not quite fulfilled with where we're at. What do you want? Well, I got goals, I got plans, I'm going after this achievement. And so what we do is we buy into this belief, if I could just achieve these goals, then I'll find that fulfillment that I was looking for. Mm. And so what happens is, is you get a goal in your crosshairs, and you're aiming at it, and it, you, you put in all the work. You hunger mm. for it, mm. and that leads to whatever it takes, right? The blood, sweat, tears, determination. Have you ever pulled that trigger, it hit, you got what you were going for, mm. and you eat that moment out, up. Like maybe the recognition is made, people are there, you're satisfied, but what happens is the satisfaction doesn't last like you expected it to. And so what do you do? Well, we don't panic here. We just kind of step back for a moment, put on our little thinking cap, we're trying to do a little introspect, and suddenly a light goes off. Upon reflection, I realized the reason this didn't give me lasting fulfillment, it's simple. I didn't go for something big enough. And so here we go again. I need to raise the bar. That's what mm-hmm. I needed to do. Mm-hmm. If I really want this to have that lasting effect, I need to climb the mountain higher. Mm-hmm. And so now you're, you're going for something bigger. And whatever it might be that you think you're missing in your life. Maybe I need more, you know, authority, a higher position. Maybe I need to be making more money. Maybe it's relationship goals. I'm missing that significant other in my life maybe we need some kids running around the home maybe we need a bigger home maybe we need some toys we just keep moving the bar thinking that that's what's going to give us that fulfillment you raise the bar you're thirsting after it you get to it you drink it up you're satisfied but what happens you're hungry thirsty all over again and it's like this vicious cycle and seemingly there just is no end but there is an end point and that really is the whole point to that quote of one of the loneliest moments The whole point is this, what happens when you finally arrive at a place where you no longer, like all the previous times before, can say, aha, I know what to do. I just need to raise the bar, go to the next rung of the ladder. No, you can't do that this time. Well, why not? Because you're at the last rung of the ladder. You can't say, well, I'll just climb a little higher, gain more elevation, why not? Well, sad to inform you, you're at the peak of the mountain, there's nothing left to climb. Mm. And yet, like all the other times before, you're hungry, you're thirsty for more, but unlike all of the other times, this time there is no next. One of the loneliest moments a man or woman will ever experience when you have achieved that what you thought would deliver the ultimate in the end, it lets you down. Mm. Everyone has their version of what it would be to gain the whole world. For me, it was becoming a seal. For movie stars, you see it's that fame and that fortune. For professional athletes out there, right, it's that achievement. We see it all the time. The rock stars, they have it all. They've gained their version of the whole world. And we see it in their lives play out as true as well. Mm. The wind comes out of the sail. It seems like their life is falling apart. It's circling a drain. Even Jim Carrey is on to this. He says, and I wish that everyone could become rich And famous and have everything that they ever wanted so that they would know it is not the answer (laughs) that's Jim Carrey Wow and so in becoming a Navy SEAL I gained my version of the whole world and I couldn't comprehend why I'm not satisfied I would later learn the reason why and this is the reason why And I think the wisest man that ever walked the face of this earth Jesus of Nazareth he framed it best he says what's the profit a man If he gains the whole world, but in the end loses his soul. That was my problem at that time. Was that I gained my version of the whole world, but my soul was not right. I didn't have a right relationship with my creator. And the bottom line is this. If you have no peace with your creator, have no expectation to ever find any peace while you're here on earth in the things that you do.
0: I think a lot of us don't realize how deep our our souls are. And we think, well, again, if I could just have a bigger thing, it would fill my soul. But your soul is so big that nothing, any culture that's ever existed can fill you. And so, like you said, it became your identity. But it's only when those good things subordinate themselves to an ultimate identity. What could be higher than your identity of your maker's son, your maker's uh, heir? And so that's what Christianity offers that's so unique is this identity that truly does satisfy. And everything else now takes its proper place as Mm -hmm. subordinate. But you're not a church goer at the time. You're starting to spiral into drinking and fighting and punching and, you know, you're accomplished Navy SEAL. You got your trident and, and you're spinning off and somebody invites you to church, which I'm sure you were just loving that invitation. <laughs> so tell me about why did you end up in church? And of all the things the guy could be speaking on, there's this like bizarre little story of a soldier in like, a, let me guess, a 700 BC that he's talking on. Not what people would think would be the thing that would grab you. Tell me about what happens. How do you get to church? How does this kind of ancient little story grab your heart that day?
1: I really owed the family one. I put them through quite (laughs) a square, (laughs) a scare the night before. I really did. Uh, I felt like I just didn't feel anymore. So what stimulated me was to go out, drink, cut loose with the guys, blackout oblivion. And, And really looking back, it was just shameful, total personal robbery. One night I was just blacked out, drunk, and I came home, and I needed to get 26 stitches in my, my knuckles. I spread blood all over the walls like a maniac. Mm. And so they're pleading with me, why don't you just come to church? And I had no desire to go. In fact, I had plans to go out. Like, here's my remorse, so just how bad I felt. I was going to go out and drink again the next night. I had a keg of beer ready to go. I'd stolen it with some old high school friends. I'm back in my hometown just going backwards. Mm. And so I'm thinking, I'll just go suffer through the church thing, make them happy. I owe them one. And then I'll go off and go do what I wanted to do, you know, that day. Well, guy starts talking about this soldier by the name of Naaman, and as he's describing him, I mean, the guy sounds like he could have been a seal, had their been something during his time. So I'm thinking, hey, at least if I'm gonna come to some church thing, I gotta hear a story about a soldier. And so I'm listening in. He's, this guy's had great success in battle, He's got this entourage of men that highly respect him. He's described as this mighty man of valor, the status that he has, like a seal, it's getting him into the high places, right? He's in the VIP meet and greets. We're informed that even the king enjoys Naaman's company, so he's rubbing shoulders with the king. He's this mighty man of valor. He's got it going on, but he had leprosy. And leprosy, well, how bad is that? Well, let's just say it was a little worse than a case of eczema. Hmm. Uh, Looking back, this Jesus of Nazareth says... Nobody during the time in Naaman had ever been healed of leprosy. It's terminal. And so now kind of circle back and picture Naaman's life like this. So much for all that success. So much for this outward man. Because what is it? It's all a persona. What's really going on underneath that armor that we don't see, Naaman? Like what's really going on underneath the clothing that doesn't quite meet the eye? What's really going on is he's literally deteriorating. He's falling apart. Naaman is a dead man Walking. Well, how quickly, as I sat there, secretly, I related with that guy. And in a room this size, many of you can relate with him as well. Because when you think about it, who are you on the outside? What kind of armor are you wearing in front of the coworkers, the family members, and friends? When in reality, you've got issues going on underneath it all, and they have no idea what you're going through. Hmm. Some of you are even thinking that the world would just be a better place without you, that you'd be doing yourself a favor and the rest of them a favor if you just took yourself out. And i got to speak to that because just by the law of averages, people have been going through that cure. You might be thinking that right now. And that really is all a total lie. You know, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He would love nothing more to, to destroy you. And if for no other reason, here's one reason not to do something like that. It's because you're not fixing any problem and you're not taking away any pain. All you're doing is passing that pain off to somebody else. You're going to leave it behind for children, for spouses, for others. They're going to have to carry that pain. And so at the very least, hang in there, stick it out for them. And so I know there's a lot of suffering that's going on. Many of you are in the midst of that adversity as we speak right now. And so Naaman, he can't do anything about this. We try and fix our own problems. We can't do anything about our own problems, so it seems, right? I can't, I can't do it in success. It's just, it's, just, it's just this vicious cycle. Well, he hears about this man that serves the God of Israel, and he's told he'll do it, and so he decides to go. It's, it's going to be a trip to enemy-occupied territory, and he's bringing his money. He wants to be fixed. He's desperate. Mm. Like, whatever it takes, man, let's go. He gets to the door, and the guy doesn't even give him a face-to-face. He kind of feels disrespected by this. He gets told to go dip into the Jordan River seven times to be healed. Gets told by a servant. He becomes furious. Mm. I mean, does this guy have any idea who Naaman is? He just came all this way, and in front of his men, he disrespects him. He doesn't even give him a face-to-face. And so he turns. He's living in a rage. He's saying, "Forget this!" Basically, being told, to "Go wash it off." Think I don't have cleaner water run from? He does. I'm sure he's tried to wash this off. He's not getting it. It's not the water that's going to fix him. It was this, this faithfulness. And so as he's living in this rage. Here's the cool part: Naaman's surrounded by some men that care about him, and they're just trying to plead with him, like, "Let's get him back over there." Maybe you're brought here by somebody like that. You know, maybe you're the the person that needs to be doing the bringing, like these guys. They're thinking to themselves, don't know exactly how this works, but we know this much, we need to get our Naaman, our bud, back over there in front of this God of Israel, step back and let the God of Israel do his thing. Step back and let him, you know, his supernatural take place. And so Naaman decides, okay, I'll do it. And this isn't easy. This is going to take some humbling right now. What's really getting in his way? What's the real problem? Is it that leprosy or is that a surfacey symptom? of something much deeper going on, the deeper, deeper issue for really all being honest. It's like every wrong thing we ever do, it seems like it's impregnated with the issue of pride. Mm. He was too prideful to do it. It seemed like foolishness to him. Go do that. It's funny because Christianity seems like foolishness. It says the, 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 the preaching of the cross seems like foolishness to who? those that are perishing, Yeah, it's your crutch. I don't need that. When Naaman decides, all right, I'm gonna do it. I think he understands now, it's not the water. It is the God of Israel. That if I'm faithful, he'll be faithful. He dipped himself seven times in an act of humility, taking that armor off. was like taking off his, his pride, being transparent, being real. Maybe his men seeing for the first time the real Naaman, mm. how vulnerable, how weak he really was. Because that's how we are when we're weak and we're vulnerable. Do we just air it out and let everyone see? No, we cover that stuff up. But now he's uncovered and he's just being real, dipping seven times, comes up this seventh time. And he had it says brand new skin like that of a baby. Imagine the mess of that leprosy, what it looks like. Body parts are falling off, you're spotted, you're you're blotted, you're you're blemished. And then he comes up like the newborn baby in the operating room, that wow. skin. I remember sitting on the edge of my seat going, wow. Very inspirational. This is like watching a movie. I love going to the movies at that time, you know, because you could live vicariously through a character for a little bit. You know, I don't have to think about what I got going on in my life. I could live vicariously through Batman. But like so many of these stories, there's this sort of arc of their character, the transformation that takes place. He goes through some adversity, and then it all works out for the hero in the end. And then I know what happens now. The credits are about to roll. The lights are about to come back on. And then it's time to go back out there into the world and deal with my life, all the clutter and debris that I got going on. I don't get to take a little reprieve in the movie theater anymore. Hmm. I'm just waiting for it now. Yeah. Well, the credits don't roll right there. It gets pointed out that just as God provided a way out for Naaman, there is a way provided out for us as well. All Naaman needed to do is humble himself before the creator and dip himself those times. And what the creator did for you and I was in a sense he dipped. He dipped his son down into the world. That's God in a bod. That's Jesus. And he lived a perfect life. If you haven't caught it yet, what does that leprosy represent? spiritually speaking apart from God we are all a mess we are all spotted and blotted and blemished and just like Naaman couldn't do anything to get the leprosy off of himself there's nothing you and I can do to wash our sin off of ourselves Hmm. but God provided this way out in what well Jesus wasn't spotted or blotted he wasn't blemished he was pure Hmm. without sin what he did is he went to the cross here's the picture that really stuck with me it was at the cross, Jesus traded skin with you and I. He took my filth, my shame, my regret, all the ways I've missed the mark, all the ways I have disappointed my creator. Everything that I knew that I had done wrong, I have a conscience. Con means with, Scientist knowledge. I had knowledge I had done wrong. But Mm. what Jesus did is he took all of that darkness in my life, he traded skin with me. He took that so that I could be switched and lavished with God's grace and mercy so that he could look at me as though I lived the perfect life that Jesus lived. Mm. And it reminds me of Michael Monsoor, a U.S. Navy SEAL, who could have saved himself. There was a hand grenade that was thrown up on a roof and it hit him in the chest and he could have turned and gotten away but there's other seals that were on the roof with them and they didn't have time to get up and make it past this grenade. So you know what he did? Instead of saving himself, he yelled to these guys grenade as he threw himself over the top to cover it. Mm. And he covered it and it went off and he absorbed the blast and he died. But because of what he did, every single one of these other guys on the roof, they all lived. You can mark these words in history down as true. Greater love is known than this one that lays on his life for his friends. This is a picture of the cross. At the cross, Jesus absorbed the blast. Not of a hand grenade. He absorbed the wrath that we deserved, right, for our sin. Why do you call him the Savior? Because he saves you from your sin. He's the only one that could do something about this spiritual leprosy for us. So just as Mikey covered that grenade so others could live, what did he do? Jesus at the cross covered our sin so that we could pass by that grenade as it were, so that we could live on with them in eternity. And as my friend Scott killed and hung from that bridge, but ultimately for freedom's sake, hey, never forget that this Jesus of Nazareth, he was killed and he was hung, wasn't he? From the cross of Calvary, so that we could be set free from the consequences of this nastiness, of this sin. So greater love has no one than this one that lays on his life for his friends. You could see it in men like Mike Monsoor and Scott Halvinston, and now look to the cross. That's the proper perspective of what you might call that King of Kings, that Lord of Lords, that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It says, for he, speaking of the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, he was sinless to become sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. Why is the word might there? Because it's not some built-into-life default position. At some point, everyone individually has to come to that point where they do what you could call this morning the Naaman thing to do. Humble yourself. And so if you find yourself here this morning maybe realizing that you too have been playing the part of Naaman. You too are another person on the outside in front of family members and coworkers and friends. Who are you? Who are you really when you're in your room? All by yourself. Lights are off. All you're left with is your own thoughts. You know who that person is. And God knows who that person is. But here's the good news, is he doesn't step in to try and point a finger at you. He doesn't want to rub your nose in some shame. What he does, he says, look to the cross. I sent my son into the world to set you free. He wants to set you free from those things. Hmm. And so consider this, that Naaman, he left one thing behind in that water in Israel that he did not go back home with. What did he leave in that water? He left the leprosy behind. What have you come in here this morning with? What kind of regret? What kind of shame? What kind of disappointment? What kind of darkness is on your shoulders? What have you come into this place with that you could leave behind, walk out of here without? By simply doing the name and thing. And by doing the name and thing, you're humbling yourself and you're doing what Jesus says. If anyone wants to come after me, you deny self. You turn from darkness towards him. You fling yourself upon his mercy. And he wants to save you, save you from that sin. And you declare to him that I believe you are my Lord. And in a military sense, I see him as my assault leader. My assault leader, my Lord, you are the one that informs me how I ought to live my life. How I ought to look at things. How I ought to sort of shoot, move and communicate through life. Savior and Lord. The moment any man or woman does that, it's not my word on it. It's God's word on it. He says he'll remember your sin no more. Just as Naaman's leprosy was wiped away, blotted out. Funny thing in the New Testament says that if you turn from your sin. Your sins will be blotted out and times refreshing may come. For me, it was March 14, 2007. Big plans of going out drinking later that night. No, I responded to that message. And I can tell you that that message is true. I experienced what the scriptures say. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All the old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. The outlook was completely different now. Mm. I'm still a seal, but now I can enjoy it. Why? Because I'm enjoying it in its proper category where it belonged. It was always a secondary, a supplementary thing. And the main thing is the main thing. I was made to know my creator. You are a soul that has a body. You're not a body that has a soul. You are a body. I'm sorry. You are not a, a body that has a soul. You are a soul that has a body. This body will go away. But Jesus says that the a man shall die, he shall live. Just as he rose again new, he says you too can have that resurrection life. But it comes down to doing the name and thing.
0: Well, maybe that's something you're in the, the process of. Maybe you've accomplished all your goals and you've got to the top of that rung and you're like, you know what, I like that significance. I'd like to know that I could be clean. I'd like to know that I could leave something behind. I'd like to know that I am at peace with my creator. So all the good things I have that are good things, but they aren't my identity, could be how I found my purpose. I'll lead you in a prayer. And then uh, I want to get the last scene of what happened in that ambush before we go. So maybe you want to pray to God just something like this. Hey, God, you know what's going on under the armor. And you know I need help. And God, I apologize for replacing you with some good thing. Thanks for dying for that. I invite your forgiveness into my heart. And I invite you to be my leader, my assault commander, the one who calls the shots. We ask this in Jesus' name.